Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. We're now on the second month of 2024, and to be honest, I thought by now we would be caught up on fraud news, and maybe there wouldn't necessarily be new news stories to talk about every week, and we'd go into more deep dive episodes. Ha! Well, that was funny on my part. It seems to be that every week lately, there's something new that is signaling new changes in the world of fraud. And that's really why I select the stories that I do. I mean, it's one thing to just rattle off a few news stories every week. I can certainly find examples of fraudsters being convicted or, you know, something like that. But I really want to talk about news that is changing fraud, news that you need to know about that's going to help you do your job better in one way or another, whether that's you know in your day-to-day or in educating other people within your company about what type of fraud can be targeting them outside of the day-to-day type of fraud that you're preventing, or whether that's just in conversations with family members and friends and you say, yeah, that can happen now. Yeah, Uncle Bob, just because you were able to meet your online girlfriend via video, that doesn't actually mean that she's real. It could be a deep fake, something like that. I've kind of steered away from deep fakes over the last few months just because they seem so sci-fi to me. But this last week, we were really, I think, I mean, I probably saw this post or this story posted on LinkedIn half a dozen times at least, because I think we were all really surprised that one person was in a conference call with six of their coworkers uh, in international offices, all people who they could look up in the directory and it looked just like them. And from that conference call, they were instructed to wire over $25 million in USD on behalf of the CFO. And they did. And it turns out that those six people that they were on a conference call with were all deep fakes. They were the only real person on the call. That's crazy scary. And we can think about so many other applications that that can be. So I'll be talking about that story a little bit more in the second half of today's episode. I first wanted to talk, especially on the heels of my conversation with Nate Carl on Tuesday about, you know, bots with newer capabilities that are really bypassing all the traditional bot detection tools and just all the capabilities that new bots, plus especially when you add in AI and artificial intelligence, just what all they can do. And there were a couple of stories this week about social media platforms and the use of bots and AI that I wanted to kind of highlight and dive into because I think that this is just the tip of the iceberg and it's important for all of us to know what's possible, right? The One of the biggest things about fighting fraud is just knowing what's possible and especially as technology is moving and changing so fast, what wasn't possible just a couple of years ago is now completely possible. So if we still are you know, going off of what couldn't happen a couple of years ago, then we're going to be like, oh, those are obviously real people or that couldn't be fraud. Why would that be fraud? Well, when you can deploy a few bots and you don't have to pay humans to do something, it's cheaper that way. And 
that's what modern technology has is giving capabilities to do. So there were a couple of articles this week that I'm going to meld together. So there were a couple of stories about bots and AI on social media platforms that I'm going to kind of meld together a little bit, but I will include links to each of those articles in the show notes uh, in case you want to reference them at all specifically. But in one case, there was an article about some researchers out of the University of Indiana, I believe. I didn't write that part down. So it might have been Indiana University. But either way, it was a university in Indiana in the US. And they found that you know more and more spammers and scammers are using botnets to post and comment about various scams, like crypto and NFT investments, fake luxury items, supplements, you know, insert your typical scam posts here, basically. I mean, also trying to get people off the platform to go to websites that might do ad fraud or might have malicious malware on them. Um, Just, you know, all the things that we've seen over the years posted on social media. That's why I always say don't click on a link to an ad to go out to the website. Um, So many other things Or you know, if you see somebody posting on Twitter or X, and you see all these comments that say, I lost 100 pounds in two days, or (laughs) I mean, that's not possible. But neither are most of the claims that they're making, you know, those type of things. But that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about, right? Uh, Anything that's gonna cast a wide net and hopefully get a few fish or a few you know, victims in it. Well, they're using botnets that are then connected to AI chatbots to post on social media. So um, especially using chat GPT, but you know, there's several different forms now to, you know, talk with each other's accounts, right? Whether they're creating posts or they're commenting on each other's accounts to write unique comments, to write unique posts, um, to follow and respond to each other with ChatGPT output. And they're using social media platforms to get the word out. So, you know, using social media platforms for a white audience and then using chatbots that are connected to ChatGPT so that you don't have to have humans involved at all, right? But because a lot of these bots are now capable of AI and learning, people are actually setting them up to be able to have conversations with other bots within their network uh, to make it look like, wow, this is really legit. There's 400 comments on this post. It must be real, Uh, that type of thing. And really the point is that this kind of setup is more automated. And so automated makes it cheap, right? It's cheaper than what was going on even five years ago or even three years ago, where oftentimes we would read about call centers or other offices in quotation marks or companies in quotation marks that would hire people in call centers to do this themselves. I think um, I think of like the 2016 presidential election in the US where there were, you know, people talking about social media farms or, you know, farms of people or call centers, large offices of people often in Eastern Europe that would just do nothing but post comments and and posts all day with misinformation or scams, that kind of thing. Well, you no longer have to pay someone in Eastern Europe an hourly wage to do that. You can just hook up um, a botnet to ChatGPT. ChatGPT is going to then be able to provide an output that sounds like a real person. So they're not saying the same thing over and over and over again, like just a traditional botnet would, and it can adapt to what's being said. 
One of the things that this article said that I thought was interesting is that you can currently tell um, if you're talking with a bot that's connected to ChatGPT because uh, they won't provide answers to questions that are against their guidelines. So if you know some of the topics that are off of ChatGPT's guidelines, uh, then you can ask you know that account that you believe may be posting on your uh, or commenting on your post or, you know, maybe posting on social media, uh, you can write them about something that you know is against ChatGPT's guidelines. And the response you'll get back is, I'm sorry, I cannot comply with this request. I, as I was writing that down um, as a possible, like, oh, here's one way that you can tell if this is the case or not. I mean, the first thing I thought of was, well, there's a lot of, you know, ChatGPT knockoffs or other companies that uh, don't have these guidelines. So they'll probably adapt very quickly to that. But the other thing I thought of was just, and I actually did think of a few of you specifically that I know listen to the podcast, but uh, I could see my husband doing this too. You know, I'm not giving, not necessarily saying that the best thing to do is to um, write to accounts that you think are, you know, potentially bots that are connected to uh, chat GPT and talk about inappropriate things uh, just to get this response back just to, you know, verify that it's a bot. But <laughs> I can just, you know, I can just see it now like, ooh, I'm gonna go try to find an account that looks like a bot that's connected to some kind of, you know, AI generated chat feature so that then I can say inappropriate things. And the response I'll get back is I'm sorry, but I cannot comply with this request. And that'll mean it's a bot. Um, but we know that that will change over time pretty quickly. And so, I mean, the fact that that's really the only way that this article said you can tell uh, if you are uh, talking back and forth with a bot that's connected to ChatGPT is quite terrifying, actually, in a lot of ways. Um, speaking of terrifying, uh, Europool is predicting that 90% of internet content in by 2026, so that's just in two years, will be AI generated. So, you know, no longer will it be people's authentic voice. I mean, already I can tell a lot of the articles that I read, you know, I wouldn't say a lot of the articles I read, but just, you know, stumbling across articles, you can usually tell sometimes when they're written by AI, but not always. And in some ways, that's good. In other ways, you know, we're taking away the human voice and, you know, possibly jobs. But just to kind of sum up this part of it, um, and I'm going to go into the second part that was in another article in just a minute. One of the blurbs in this article said, the rise of social media has given bad actors a cheap way to reach a large audience and monetize false or misleading content. New AI tools further lower the cost to generate false but credible content at scale, defeating the already weak moderation defenses of social media platforms. So it's just important to know that these capabilities exist. It's just another capability to put on uh, bots these days. And, you know, whether you work for a social media platform or you're just active on social media, I think it's important to know that, you know, not only is it possible that you're not speaking with a human, but it's possible that you're having a conversation with a bot connected to ChatGPT in this whole you know, elaborate thing behind the scenes. It just brings a whole other meaning to, you know, when we tell our kids that you have no idea who you're talking with on the other end of the computer. You know, not only could it not be someone your kid's age and, you know, who they're saying they are in that way, it could just be a string of botnet uh, connected to AI. And, you know, that's important to know who we're talking with. So the other piece of this is that there was an article that came out um, accusing Twitter or X. I don't know. I'm, I'm never going to get used to calling them X. I'm sorry. But it says uh, Musk's X is flooded with ad spam 
connected to stolen credit cards. So this article is on uh, theinformation.com, which is behind a paywall. So I'm only able to read the first two paragraphs. However, I was able to read a summary somewhere else, and I have a pretty good idea of all the rest behind it. And I thought it was worth talking about because for several reasons, and I'll dive into that in just a minute. So uh, the first two paragraphs are, you know, Elon Musk's ex, formerly known as Twitter, has in the past couple of months been inundated with a wave of ads for porn sites and fake luxury goods. That may sound like a low priority problem for X, as these ads, no matter how sketchy, could in theory bring in much needed ad revenue. The problem is that the ad of, is that the flood of ad spam, as insiders refer to it, has coincided with a surge in credit card firms asking X for refunds on unauthorized transactions, which I read that as chargebacks. That indicates that at least some of the spam ads are paid for with stolen cards, say people familiar with the situation, which means X doesn't get to keep any money generated from these ads. This is something I've talked about before, um, whether it's in my own personal experience uh, in my career, uh, because one of the first companies that I worked with uh, when I was in merchant services risk was Facebook when Mark Zuckerberg had two employees and uh, they had ad fraud and were subject to being included in some of the chargeback monitoring programs that existed back then. It's an issue that's always been a problem for social media companies, just like with those tools that are using chatbots and, you know, or botnets, you know, connected to chatbots, there's a need and a desire to get information or whether it's scam ads, spam ads, which the line is kind of thin between there, but, um, you know, scams would be actively trying to get people to fall victim to a scam like crypto investments or, you know, romance scams, that sort of thing. Uh, I see spam as fake ads that are getting you, well, it's still a scam in a way because oftentimes you make a purchase and that item never comes or it does come, but it's not at all what you ordered, that type of thing. You know, they claim to be a luxury good, but really it's a fake luxury good. You probably could have figured that out by uh, looking at the price, but you know, uh, if it sounds too good to be true, it is, but you know, we know that everyone's looking for a deal also. So I think what they mean by spam ads here are, you know, sketchy porn sites or uh, which probably have malware connected to them when you go to the website or websites that were just put up uh, that either take your order and never send you the item or send you something that you really weren't expecting or that you didn't want that type of thing. So the whole purpose of those ads is to get people to buy the item or to click on the link and why would they pay for the ad if they could just use a stolen card? This is something that's prevalent on social media and has been obviously since the beginning of time, you know, as far back as 2006 or seven, as far as I know from my own experience. But, you know, Twitter and, you know, Facebook and Instagram have done fairly well at this over the last several years, probably the last decade or so, because they've had to. Uh, I've talked about this many times before, but the card brands have programs in place to incentivize or decentivize merchants that accept payments online and credit card payments online specifically to not have fraud on their platform, to do their due diligence, whether that is uh, putting in automated fraud systems to identify fraud. Um, But it's not just fraud, right? It's also making sure that those sites are providing what people are paying for, 
That way it leads to less chargebacks for services not rendered or not as described. So there are chargeback programs. Um, Visa has their um, VDMP, the Visa Dispute Monitoring Program. MasterCard has their EDMP, their or actually ECMP, uh, Excessive Chargeback Monitoring Program. And then Visa also has their VFMP, which is the Visa Fraud Monitoring Program, which is looking at fraud instances, not just chargebacks. And for VFMP, it's on a dollar basis. Uh, if it's over a certain a dollar threshold a month then uh, and a percentage of your, if it's over a certain dollar threshold and it, the by the dollars, it's over 1% of your sales, then you can be uh, entered into that program. For disputes, it is number of chargebacks divided by number of sales for that month. When you're in those programs, there are various fees and fine structure based on the month, uh, the number of months that you're in those programs. And when you start creeping up to month five or six, not only are you paying excessive fines, but you're starting to have to have conversations with Visa or MasterCard directly, and they're considering whether you're going to be able to accept credit cards again or not, uh, if you're going to still be able to have the privilege of accepting credit cards. So, you know, for that's honestly what justifies the majority of fraud departments for e-commerce companies is those rules. It's important to have people there who are preventing and identifying fraud before it happens. So it's less chargebacks. Um, you know, this article refers to it as refunds to credit card companies, but it's a chargeback. Credit card companies aren't taking the time to call Twitter and say, hey, can I get a refund on this transaction? Uh, they're just going through the chargeback process. So when stolen cards are used for ads and there's nothing in place, that can get out of hand really quickly. And how would I know that there wasn't anything in place? Well, um, I think we all know that about a year and a half ago when I talked about this a fair amount, I mean, what I could at the time, several, if not all of Twitter's trust and safety department either uh, left on their own or were let go uh, when Elon Musk took over. And that included within the trust and safety department included their fraud department. I don't know if there is anyone left in any of those teams. Uh, what I can say is everyone that I knew that worked on fraud payments or content moderation within trust and safety no longer work for Twitter or now X. So it isn't surprising to me that this article comes out saying, hey, there's a lot of, you know, spammy ads on this platform and they're probably linked to stolen cards and it doesn't seem like anyone's doing anything. Well, that's what happens when the founder of the company doesn't think that those departments are important. So I do remember when Elon Musk announced that you could purchase a blue check mark. And I talked about the, that um, several months ago when it was happening as far as, you know, how that was going to take away from all of the work that the trust and safety team had done to be able to give people legitimacy and was going to, and it did lead to several impersonation accounts, right? So when you have 27 different accounts that all say they're Dwayne The Rock Johnson and they all have a blue check mark, how can you tell which one is the real one? And what if one of those Dwayne The Rock Johnson accounts is, you know, encouraging scams or 
encouraging people to click on a link or, you know, talking about disinformation and misinformation, whether it be political or health related or anything like that, and all the problems that could come from that. I remember asking someone who knew the answer if this was going to, if they were concerned about their chargebacks going up for that, because obviously a lot of stolen cards could be used for that, but there could also be people who could pay for a blue check mark and then realize eh, it really wasn't worth that $8 a month. I want to charge back the last three months, uh, which on subscription, you can charge back up to three to four months max, but it's usually three months. And I was informed that, um, and this was when there were still some people who understood the payments and the fraud um, landscape and strategies and that type of thing, that they had made it clear to the business that the best way of doing that was to only have the purchase of a blue check mark go through the Play stores. So, um, you know, Apple Pay, you know, or the it used to be the iTunes store on um, the Apple App Store um, through Apple Pay or Google Play. And the reason for that would be that those chargebacks made on those purchases wouldn't count towards Twitter directly. They would instead count towards Apple Pay or Google Pay. Uh, and they, in theory, have so much more, they have such a higher denominator that the numerator of the number of chargebacks uh, wouldn't be as big of a risk as it would be to Twitter. I talked a lot about the way that chargeback calculation works on a previous episode about the chargeback fraud company who turned out to be fraud and was being sued by the California um, Department of Justice. And, you know, that company really played that game as far as inflating sales so that you it wouldn't look like they had as many chargebacks as they did. Uh, that's not what Twitter was doing. Twitter was being strategic as far as they weren't inflating with fake sales or, you know, buying a prepaid card to then do a whole bunch of microtransactions to inflate that denominator. They just decided we don't want this on our merchant ID. We are going to have this be on an alternative payment method so that uh, if there are chargebacks tied directly to that, that goes on our account with the alternative payment method and risk isn't assessed the same way. I know for a fact that at least then, and you know, pretty much the way it's always been for social media companies, that advertisements, however, were on their merchant ID and that they were concerned about keeping chargebacks low on ad sales. So it's just something to keep in mind that, you know, while the purchases for the check marks aren't going to be uh, on their own merchant ID, they're not inflating those sales either with that. They're not getting that bump in their denominator, so to speak, but they are responsible for ad fraud and that is counted for their chargebacks. So something to be aware of. And it's just a good, you know, well, yet another example of why fraud departments are so important. Uh, oftentimes, you know, there are, there will undoubtedly be leaders who will, you know, see it as a cost center and who won't understand. And we've talked about that at length on all other episodes, I feel like, you know, as far as really trying to change that narrative, that we're not a cost center. If anything, we can actually drive revenue, uh, drive the right revenue and the right quality of revenue. But in this case, when there was a new leader coming on very quickly, who you didn't understand the intricacies of fraud and chargebacks and payments and all of that. Uh, and so when some people left on their own and when those positions were eliminated, they didn't seem fit to backfill them, at least as far as I can tell. I haven't seen any uh, postings for roles uh, at Twitter or X 
for these positions. And I also have not, I don't know of anyone that works there now. So, um, you know, that doesn't mean that there isn't anyone still keeping the lights on on the fraud department. But I think it's safe to say that they're pretty under-resourced. And so to have this come out publicly in an article, sadly, isn't surprising. And again, that's the only time I ever am going to mention a company by name is if there's an article about them. So that's the only reason why I'm mentioning these guys by name now. I know I've been promising to tell you more about SPEC and why I invited them to sponsor episodes of Fraudology. And there's actually so many things that I want to tell you and will tell you over the next several weeks. But the first thing I want to make sure that you hear about is their Trust Cloud. SPEC's Trust Cloud protects the integrity of the digital user while simplifying the risk process. It allows you to discover insights across the entire digital user experience. It allows you to catch attacks early. With access to full visibility, you can scan visitor behavior across their entire journey to catch the risk patterns that traditional fraud check APIs miss. Visualize the flow of attacks, identifying areas to catch them early, and leaving bad actors with nowhere to hide. It also allows you to start each journey with instant trust. You can boost platform integrity by instantly welcoming return customers to their personal account experience, while your trust platform invisibly screens for signs of compromise and abuse. It also allows you to remove friction for good customers and increase conversions. By using a single source of truth, you can detect evolving fraud attacks and identify conversion drop-offs and optimize your payment strategy. The bottom line is when you're able to to see every customer's behavior from the moment that they enter your website until the time of checkout or when they open up a new account, you can identify that before the fake account is made, before the transaction is even made and now you've got a fraud transaction in your platform. It's honestly game-changing and I'm really excited for more people to learn about it. So to learn more about Spec and this new technology and especially their Spec Trust Cloud, go to www.specprotected.com. And speaking of ad fraud, and whether they're funded by stolen cards or not, there's different types of ad fraud. There was another article this week from 404 where they dove into some trends that they were seeing on Instagram, where several people who are known for being wealthy, whether it's Jim Cramer, who hosts a TV show about stocks um, on cable, or Jamie Dimon, who is uh, the head of Chase Bank. Their ads with very famously wealthy people who are saying, hey, join my group and I can 5x or 10x or even 100x your investment with my unique investing system or with my training system or whatever it is. And 404 dove into this more because they just felt like they were seeing a lot more in their feed. And to them, they were obvious scams, but there wouldn't be these scammy ads if they weren't working in some regards. So they they went through what happens when you click on these. And since, you know, I would never click on these, I thought it was interesting to at least know what happens. So if you click on the ad in, in one of these ads in Instagram or Facebook, an invitation to join one of the groups will pop up. And in this case, it said, hi, I'm Jim Kramer. I remember starting to learn about stocks in fourth grade and continuing through high school. Previously, I worked at Goldman Sachs and later became a hedge fund manager for Kramer Berkowitz, blah, 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 blah. I can help you overcome your fear of losing money and help you compound 5x, 10x, 100x your investment with my unique two-hour weekly investing system. This article has 
a lot of screenshots of what these look like um, with various uh, people who are you know, known for being in the financial world. So after answering a short questionnaire with questions like, do you have time to receive accurate stock trading notifications to learn stock investment skills? I imagine there's probably some PII questions in there too. I clicked a button to join, which sent me to a WhatsApp group. WhatsApp is also owned by Meta. Overall, and Again, I'm reading this article. This is not my own experience. <laughs> um, overall, I joined seven such groups from seven different Instagram ads pretending to be Ackman, Kathy Wood, and or other famous people. All of these groups had names like U.S. Stocks Investment Group 1031 or U.S. Stocks Investment Group 518 or Wisdom Stock Learning 412. Each WhatsApp group had dozens of people in it, but I couldn't tell how many of the users in the group were there because they were fooled by one of the Instagram ads, or if they were a sock puppet account run by the scammers attempting to make the group seem legit. Fair. And that's the way I enjoy reading articles by 404, because they, they know a little bit more about, they're a little more internet savvy than the average online publication. So they, you know, obviously know that either one of those things could be true. Going back to this, yes, I did come across many other groups, but I see that your firm's regulatory code with FINRA is real, and I am satisfied so far, one user said. I checked their information. Everything is true, another user in the WhatsApp group said. Welcome to the Professional U.S. Stocks Investment Group. We have collected the stock information from each investor, and we will ask our professional stock analysts to diagnose these stocks for you, a message from the administrator of one of the groups said. Similar messages appeared in the other WhatsApp groups, and all of them directed users to add investment assistant Elena Ross as a contact so they could get stock diagnosis reports. The administrator of the group also said, that it's being managed by Wisdom Capital Management Limited, which provides investment marketing strategies to 12,000 investors and a contracted cooperation amount of $250 million. The administrator shared a screenshot of the SEC's website showing its investment advisor public disclosure, its central registration depository number, um, and its website. The website claims that Wisdom Capital Management has an office on Wall Street in New York and lists three employees, including Elena Ross. None of them have any online presence at all, except for founder Chris Brown, who has a Twitter profile created in 2023 that has never tweeted. When I asked Elena Ross if she could link me to her LinkedIn profile, she said, sorry, I'm not using it right now because after I divorced my ex-husband, my LinkedIn was by bombarded by him. Sorry, I kind of crack up sometimes at some of the things scammers say to try to seem legitimate. Uh, Googling that number that they claim is their investment number, um, did indeed lead me to the SEC's record of Wisdom Capital Management Group Limited, but a note at the top of the page warned me that the SEC is aware fraudsters use these records to scam people. Please be aware that fraudsters may link to investment advisor public disclosure website from phishing and similar scam websites trying to steal your personal information or your money, the warning says. To find contact info for the real Wisdom Capital Management Limited, who says the website the Facebook group administrator linked is not its website. Shortly after I started joining the groups, Elena Ross sent me a private message which asked me to invest in American Airlines and share a screenshot of the purchase from my investment account so that I can better notify you when it's sold. Around the same time, I received a text message, notably outside of WhatsApp, from Frank, who said he is a first-class graduated student in cryptocurrency and in other trading aspects. 
Frank said he was willing to teach me his investment strategy and shared screenshots of his investment account holding hundreds of thousands of dollars to prove he knew what he was talking about. So I see this as a little bit different than pig butchering scams, uh, just because, you know, the term pig butchering, as I mentioned a few weeks ago when Aaron West came on, really talks about fattening the pig for slaughter. This seems like a quick one-time scam, but they're still using crypto and investment scams. So there's some similarities for sure. I mean, everything's just a hybrid of each other, right? Um, so they showed the screenshot of supposedly his bank account balances. And then in his text message, this person, uh, the scammer said, well, I have no reason to scam you. Then I want them to help. I am rich already. Most of my clients, I only trade for them with my AI. Then I pay them their profit. When I said I was interested in investing $1,000, Frank repeatedly asked that I put the money in a cash app or Coinbase account and send him a screenshot as proof. As an example of what I should send, he sent me a picture of a cash app account, which included the routing number and partial account number. Aside from being absurd on their face, 404 Media was able to confirm the ads were a scam by contacting Kathy Woods and Bill Ackerman's companies. We are aware of these scams and impersonations and are actively working to take them down, I said. These are spam accounts and we have nothing to do with them, a partner at Ackman's Pershing Square Capital Management firm said. Instagram did not respond to our request for comment and appears to be largely out to lunch when it comes to checking out who is buying ads on its platform for what reason. In August, 404 Media's Jason Kobler published a story about how Instagram was serving him ads for drugs stolen credit cards, hacked accounts, counterfeit money, and weapons. Two weeks after that story was published, he was still getting similar ads. As Jason noted at the time, it's not just that these scammers are able to buy ads on Instagram. Because of how the platform's algorithm works, the fact that I clicked on one ad because of curiosity signaled that I was interested in that type of ad, which immediately resulted in it flooding my feed. And then, <laughs> I find this interesting, I actually hadn't read this last quote, but I it is exactly what I was going to talk about next. Unfortunately, this might be a consequence of the recent layoffs in trust and safety that Meta has made. Laura Edelson, a researcher at New York University who specializes in social media ad spending, told 404 Media in August, referring to more generally to Meta's content moderation and also their content integrity team. I know that for a fact. Uh, security is an ever-evolving game, and Meta may just no longer have the resources in place to keep up with the tactics bad actors are using to get around policy enforcement. We know that Meta did mass or a lot of layoffs in the trust and safety department. Uh, one, because I have had at least one guest from that group on the podcast previously. I know that because uh, virtually, not everyone, but almost everyone that I knew uh, uh, at meta companies were laid off this last summer as well, which kind of blew my mind, uh, given the fact that there's so much misinformation and disinformation on the platform. And, you know, they're really um, sinking into this, you know, thought that the platform is not responsible for what is on their platform. Uh, that was a law that was made in the US. It's called um, Section 230. And it was created almost 30 years ago and long before there was social media. And so they're really just doubling down on that for all intents and purposes. And last week there was a meeting um, in the U.S. with leaders from social media companies talking about child endangerment and uh, different types of issues that are impacting kids, um, whether it's bullying or sextortion or other issues. Mark Zuckerberg got up and 
he was kind of asked to give an apology and he he did uh i think it was kind of a feigned apology to the families uh about what's on his platform and how it has impacted their families' lives and you know they've lost kids due to suicide because of you know a lot of things that have happened on their platforms and i'm not saying that deaths are necessarily the platform's fault i mean obviously there were people behind those things doing it as well but his apology was pretty hollow so after a half-hearted apology he then went on to say this is why we invest so much and are going to continue doing industry-leading efforts to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your family has had to suffer that would be great on its face but if it's such a priority to them to continue their industry-leading efforts i'm confused why they laid off around 50 percent of their content integrity fraud and other departments within trust and safety last summer that's something that I posted on LinkedIn about. And I just, I found it interesting that that article came out the same week, this article talking about these scam ads and everything else that is prevalent on meta platforms that lead people down these paths. And if, you know, they weren't allowed on the platforms, then they wouldn't be effective, right? I, unfortunately, there are people who think, oh, it's on the internet, it's on this platform, so it must be legitimate, or it looks legitimate, or, you know, I associate that person with someone who has a lot of wealth, so it must be them. Like, why would anyone fake being them? There's a lot of people that still think that way. Unfortunately, that's just, it's not a priority for them, right? And so you guys know that I usually have a rule not to talk about a company unless they're in the headlines. And I really try hard not to bash any company, usually because I know a lot of you work there and I know a lot of great people work at different companies, you know, that are sometimes in the headlines or not in the headlines. Uh, and so I try really hard to refrain from it, but there's been so many headlines and I know some things behind the scenes about the reasons behind this that actually um, are not as clear cut as you might think, um, but not anything that I can share publicly um, because I've been entrusted with that information. But because of the things I know and, you know, the people that I know that have worked at these companies that have shared and entrusted things with me, I I'm really frustrated. I just, I don't think that Mark Zuckerberg has the right or the ability to talk about how they're continuing to invest in efforts to try to, you know, stop these things when they cut half of the team and they already were under-resourced and understaffed with how much, you know, they have to combat. There are um, other priorities within the company that have just made this not a priority. And it's really frustrating, um, especially when it impacts people's everyday lives. And so I think I've just read one too many articles or heard one too many things. And I found that, you know, all these things are connected, right? From talking about bots that are connected to chat GPT and talking about Twitter and how they've got a card fraud problem along with a fake ad problem. And now, you know, Instagram has a fake ad problem that's leading to scams and kind of going down that rabbit hole to find out what happens when you click on one of those scams. All of those things are connected and important to know about. And even if you aren't on a social media platform, any company that has user generated content is at risk for having some of these things happen. Happen to know that a lot of them take it a lot more seriously um, for various reasons.
So switching gears, I promised this uh, story, and so I'm going to um, cover it fairly quickly. I know that I, I I went much longer talking about social media issues than I intended to. Hopefully, it didn't sound like too much of a rant or repetitive at all. But I did want to read this deep fake story because it's equally terrifying and frustrating in a different way. So as I mentioned at the top of uh, the show, there was a firm in Hong Kong that lost over $25 million USD uh, after an employee's video call with the deep fake CFO or chief financial officer and five others. So they had a conference call with six people in their company where their CFO instructed them to wire transfer money and they did. And it turned out it was a scam and pulled out a little bit from an article about this. Uh, it says scammers in this use in this case used deep fake technology to turn publicly available video and other footage of staff members into convincing meeting participants. According to one of the law enforcement officers that was involved in this, the worker involved had been suspicious since he received the message purportedly from the company's United Kingdom based CFO, and he first dismissed it as a phishing email back in January. However, the talks of the need for a secret transaction continued. The worker dismissed the doubts after the video call because other people in attendance had looked and sounded just like colleagues and some of the people he recognized. So he's like, well, this seems weird, but there's other people that I know that are in this call, so they must be legit. The police official also said that scammers asked the victim to introduce himself but did not actually interact with the person during the meeting. Additionally, the fake images on the screen mainly gave orders before the call ended abruptly. The employee then followed the instructions and made 15 transfers totaling $25.6 million to five Hong Kong bank accounts. The entire episode lasted a week before a worker involved made an inquiry with the company's headquarters. Amid a number of such incidents, chance of the police have arrested six people so far. He also spoke about eight stolen Hong Kong identity cards involved in the scams. According to the police, there have to be at least, there have been at least 20 such incidents where AI deepfakes have been used to trick facial recognition programs into making 90 loan applications and 54 bank account registrations by imitating the people pictured on the identity cards between July and September last year. That's just in Hong Kong, and that's just what's been reported. So you can imagine in other countries, those numbers are much, much bigger. And just a couple other things on deepfakes that I found as I was you know, doing a little bit of research, because this isn't my, this isn't where I know a lot of information about, but I certainly try to learn because I think we're all going to be dealing with them in different ways in the near future, if not already. Um, according to technology provider ExpressVPN, there are now millions of deepfakes online today. That's up from fewer than 15,000 in 2019. So just in five years, it's gone from 15,000 to millions. You know, technology innovations are happening so quickly that services now allow fairly savvy online users the ability to make their own. You don't have to be a programmer to create one from scratch anymore. There's programs out there where you can just easily put in a clip of 20 second, a video of a person and a picture of them from maybe a couple different angles and boom, you have a deep fake. Uh, Frank McKenna has done some good reporting on this and has um, himself actually done. And he talked about this when he was on the podcast in January, talking about New Year's predictions and how 
easy it was for him to fool people who have known him for years just with a voice deep fake. Uh, so, you know, audio and video, they're both we can't trust them as much anymore. Um, it is good to know that at least in this situation, you know, one of the key thing differentiators is that those coworkers in quotation marks didn't really interact with the employee. So that's, you know, one thing to be aware of, but this is the kind of thing that, you know, you should be bringing up to leadership and to other departments within your company. Anyone who has access to wires or to financial funds within your company, even if it's a corporate credit card, They can be subject to social engineering and thinking that they're doing something that they're supposed to be doing because the CEO asked them to, you know, and because they saw them on video or they heard their voice and they recognized it, they thought, wow, well, I don't want to get in trouble, so I'm going to do this. A lot of these tactics, too, reminded me a lot of some of the things that Robert Kerbeck talked about as far as when he would impersonate people for, you know, when he was a corporate spy he would often select people that were in international offices because you're not going to see them in the office that you're in now, but you might recognize them or their voice or all of that. I mean, I, I can't imagine if Robert Kerbeck was still doing what he's doing now and had access to deep fakes, but there are people out there that are just as good as he is. And that's what's scary. A little bit more info um, or statistics, a June 2023 report by Transmit Security found that AI-generated deepfakes can be used, as this article said too, uh, to bypass biometric security systems such as facial recognition systems, protecting customer accounts, and to create counterfeit documents. And bots are, we already know that bots are better than humans at solving CAPTCHA. Um, so you mix that in with a deep fake that then has to do a liveness test. And I know that there are several companies that are coming out saying that they can identify them and detect them. There's been some interesting conversations uh, with fraud fighters on that topic. And I think everyone's very skeptical because we the technology of deep fakes and even AI bots are moving at the speed of light. And so... Any company that says that they can 100% detect deep fakes, I just, I would be skeptical of right now. I think it's good that there are companies out there that are trying to look at these things, but pride often comes before the fall. And I get concerned about hubris when there's something that is changing and growing so quickly that we don't fully understand yet. That's just my take on it, but um, something that I would be cautious about. But I do think that as companies that accept Things like liveness checks and document verification and, you know, any kind of uh, biometrics. Be wary of it. You know, have conversations with your providers. What are they doing about it? Have conversations internally in your company. What are other, you know, steps and friction you can put in place for those risky transactions that may not be able to be spoofed by AI or deep fakes? And then, like I said before, make sure that you Do your best to warn other people in your company about attempts for phishing and spear phishing to try to get wires of money across and, you know, to try to social engineer. That is something that I'm afraid we're going to be seeing a lot more of over the next couple of years. And it's, you know, I think that people will look to you and say, why didn't you warn us? Uh, because you're in charge of the fraud department. So something to be aware of, whether you have a bulletin or uh, you're able to have a regular meeting with different leaders in the company um, or speak with the head of finance to say, hey, I'm concerned about this trend. You know, look at this article, look at that article. 
you know, it might be worth having a meeting with anyone who has access to be able to wire money, you know, over a you know, relatively small amount, right? Like maybe over $5,000 or whatever you decide that threshold is. It's a scary world out there. I feel old and kind of naive for saying that, but that's really all I can say, especially about talking about all these things. And it almost feels like we're living in this sci-fi world where computers are taking over. And I don't think we're there yet, but we're definitely on our way. It can be an exciting time to be fighting fraud, but it can also be a scary time to fight fraud because we know that, you know, they're over-resourced than we are and their time to be able to innovate is so much shorter than our time to innovate. And, you know, that gap between there, like Nate and I were talking about on Tuesday. So all just things to think about, be aware of. Thank you again so much for listening to today's episode. I'm so grateful for all of you who are regular listeners or just check in here and there. And I will look forward to speaking with you more next week. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.